Good morning. Let us continue to honor our King with the reading of His Word. We'll be in Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And the Lord, the word of the Lord reads, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And I sa- but I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and said, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who was called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved and you and all your household. And I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell on them just on a, as at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then God gave the same spirit to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Well, we've been making our way through Acts, and we've come to Acts chapter 11. We spent a few weeks in Acts chapter 10. Because we are reminded of what an important event happened in Acts chapter 10. It's one of those epical events in the history of redemption. It is such an important event that it will be rehearsed again and again as you read the book of Acts. Because the early disciples came to realize just how important and significant an event it was. In fact, what God does in Acts chapter 10 is really give us another Pentecost. He had given the church one big Pentecost. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And then in Acts chapter 10, it's like God rehearses those events again when the Holy Spirit now is poured out upon the Gentile believers in Caesarea, in particular over at Cornelius' house. And as we have been reminded, these events were were huge and important, game-changing events in the history of the church. 
Not only would they retell them again and again in the book of Acts, but we retell them again and again and again. So these events here that we are rehearsing, that we are seeking to understand more clearly, are really the experience of the truth that comes to us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I'm sure that most of us are familiar with these words, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What? First to the Jew and then to the Gentile also. Just as Jesus Christ came into the world, the Bible tells us that he first came to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. So did the gospel. The gospel came first to the Jewish people and then to the Gentiles. So to the Spirit. The Spirit first came to the Jewish people and then to the Gentile. But this is the important thing to understand. That though it came to the Jews first, it didn't come with any less import. It didn't come with any less significant to the Gentile. But it came with the same importance. It came with the same power. It came with the same truth. And this is what Peter learned, you remember. In Acts chapter 10, this is what he learned. And in chapter 11, we'll see this morning... That this is what he reported when he got back to Jerusalem. He reported what he had learned about the truth of God and how God is dealing with his people. And not everybody was excited about it. Not everybody was as enthused about it as Peter was. For you understand that when Peter returned to Jerusalem, he returned with a new understanding. He returned with a renewed mind. He returned with a full spirit. He came. He came testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ. He came witnessing to the power of God. He came giving evidences. Evidences of the grace of God in his life, but also in the lives of the Gentile believers. So what we have here in Acts chapter 11 is really Peter's report on the evidences of grace amongst the Gentiles. And in reporting on these evidences of grace, Peter Peter reminds us That as it was the case with the Gentiles, so it is always the case that the evidences of grace, when we are discerning enough to see them and to understand them, the evidences of grace are always unbelievable. The evidences of grace are always undivided. And the evidences of grace are always undeserved. Always. Always. They're unbelievable. They're undivided. And they're undeserved. You know, before Peter could say goodbye to Cornelius and his family, the report, the word had already was getting back to Jerusalem. 
before he could say his final goodbyes, the word was traveling and getting back to Jerusalem. They didn't have email, beloved. They didn't have phones. There was no text messaging. There was no internet. And yet the news traveled. It traveled and it traveled fast. For the Bible says here in verse 1, notice what it, what it says. The brothers and sisters in Jerusalem heard the news that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. They already heard it. The Gentiles had received the word of God. And that is important. That is important because that's really what matters. Whatever other rumors were were being swirled around, whatever else was being said about what happened in Caesarea over at Cornelius' house, what was most important was that those Gentiles had received the word of God. That's a good word to spread. It's a lot of things you ain't got no business talking about. It's a lot of gossiping and, and, and talk that goes on that shouldn't go on. But if you really want to talk about something, let people know how other people are receiving the word of God. What a joy it is. So no matter else, what else was people were hearing, isn't it great to know? And the Bible reports, first and foremost, what's most important is that the Gentiles were receiving the word of God. That's important. That is so important. It seems like an insignificant sentence, but it's not. They were receiving the word of God. Why is that important? Because it had always been believed, especially by these Jews, that only God's chosen people could receive the word of God. Those are the only ones. Because they had received the word of God. They had the blessed privilege of receiving the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7 that they received the word of God through angels on Mount Sinai. God has sent his angels to deliver his word to his people. They had not only received the word through angels in Hebrews chapter 1. It begins by telling us that they received it through the prophets. God had been gracious to his people and had given his word to them through angels and through the prophets. In fact, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 1, the question is asked, what advantage is there to being a Jew? And Paul answers the question, there is much advantage. First of all, it is to the Jews that the word of God came. They had received the revelation of God. No other people. They had received the oracles of God. The problem, however, beloved, with the Jews, as with us, is that they fell in love with their privileges more than they loved God. They fell in love with the gifts more than the giver. And therefore, they thought much of themselves because they had these privileges rather than thinking much of the one who had granted these privileges to them. That's how we do. 
we make much of the gift rather than the gift giver. And the reason we make much of the gift is because we tend to make much of ourselves. And somehow we think that we deserve the gift. And that's why the gift becomes so important, so precious to us. Because really, the gift speaks to us. Wow, I'm so worthy of this nice ring. So worthy of this nice bracelet. I'm so worthy of these nice things. And this is what happens. And this is why you know this is the truth. Because when that word, the Bible says, became flesh, God faithfully sent that word to the Jews. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 11, Jesus came to his own people and his own people did not receive him. The word became flesh. And what did God do? He he did what he always did. He sent the word to his people. came unto his own, and his his own did not receive him. But notice what it says after that. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so we see it here in Acts chapter 10. And Peter realizing it, rehearsing it in chapter 11, the Gentiles had now received the word of God just as God had said. And therefore, according to God, they now, having received the word, have the power to become now children of God. That's why it's important what verse 1 says. The word spread that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And if they had received the word of God, then that means they're children of God. Wow. Wow. That's game changing. That's game changing. And when Peter gets to Jerusalem, that word had already beat him there. Because, beloved, that word was unbelievable. No way. No way. No way. How the Gentiles received the word of God because the implications of that are staggering. We got we to consider them brothers and sisters in Christ. They are now children of God with full privileges and heirs of Christ. You kidding me? But beloved, the grace of God is always, always unbelievable. It's always unbelievable. How do you know? How do you know that God is doing it? 
Well, one way you know that God is doing it is because it's hard to believe. That's just unbelievable. There's no way. That can't happen. That's one of the ways that you know that God is doing it. Because we, we sing about amazing grace, and well, we should. But we ought to have a song that says unbelievable grace. It's just unbelievable. That's what it is. Notice what verse 2 says. When Peter got back to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You, Peter, went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. It don't record it, but if Peter was quick on his feet, he would have said, no, I didn't go there. Jesus did. He got there before I did. <laughs> Maybe he did say that. But the scriptures are playing nice. Notice it says that the circumcision party criticized him. Who are these people? Well, they weren't just the Jewish Christians. I mean, the whole church in Jerusalem was full of Jewish Christians, and the whole church wasn't criticizing them. If you want the whole church, you could have just said, and the church criticized him. But it wasn't the whole church. Could have said, or or could have said, the apostles criticized him, but it wasn't the apostles. Apparently, there was this group, this party, as the text says, this group of Jewish circumcised Christians. You might want to consider them the ultra-conservative right-wing part of the body. You knew that's coming feel, right? Who insisted that circumcision was necessary. A fellowship with Christ. In fact, you, you almost get the sense that perhaps their leaders in this group perhaps were part of the pharisaical group before they came into the knowledge of Christ. Perhaps they had a pharisaical background. Perhaps they had a pharisaical upbringing. And then when they came into the knowledge of Christ, like a lot of us do, we bring with us our cultural baggage. We bring with us our ethnic baggage. And therefore, all the times that we've seen before, we look at the world and even the church through those lenses. Maybe that's what happened. Now, I say that because the criticism was similar to that that was received by Jesus on many occasions. Consider what it says in Luke chapter 5 and and verse 30. When the Pharisees got wind of what Jesus was doing and his disciples, they, they went to the disciples and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Pharisees couldn't understand that. Why are you eating with the unclean? Why are you eating with the unrighteous? You claim to be a prophet of God. You claim to be a man of God, and you're eating with the unclean and the unrighteous. And so you can hear kind of a similar criticism that Jesus received not being targeted at Peter. You ate with the uncircumcised? You ate with the sinners? You ate with the unclean? The uncircumcised, the Gentiles, beloved, they were unclean. 
They were unclean. They were untouchable according to the law. And so when they say that they wonder, or they call the Gentiles unclean, they call the Gentiles untouchable, according to the law, they were right. But this is what they forgot. They're not Jews anymore. They are Christians. And they are not saved according to the law. They are saved according to grace. And yet, they're still trying to live according to the law. According to their Jewish customs. According to their culture and ethnic identities. Rather than be excited that the gospel was faithfully proclaimed among the Gentiles, they were ready to criticize Peter for fellowshipping with these Gentiles. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Here's an important note to understand. The, the point that the Bible is going to make as we go forward in Acts, and if you read throughout the epistles, you're going to understand more and more that which really matters. As the Bible peels away our cultural and ethnic identities and seeks to make us one in Christ, it does things that are unbelievable, things that could never have been spoken before, and you would think, no way is that true. This is one of them. Circumcision no longer matters. It is not the circumcision of the flesh that matters. It is the circumcision of the heart. Colossians chapter 2. Here's something to understand, beloved. You know, baptism is important. But it's not baptism in water that really matters. It's being baptized in the Spirit. Isn't that what Peter says in, 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 in verse 16 of our chapter that he was reminded as he was rehearsing these things and he saw these Gentile believers coming to faith in Christ, responding to the word. He was reminded that Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Spirit. That's what really Matter. And beloved, they were amazed at Peter for going to eat in fellowship with the uncircumcised because they were not amazed at Jesus. That's, that, that's really the issue. Because you know what happens. Pride and prejudice comes into our hearts when we stop marveling at our salvation. When we begin to look at the external things and, and fixate on the external things and pride and prejudice rises up in our hearts because we seek to be amazed at our salvation. They could not believe that 
Peter had fellowship and ate with with the uncircumcised because they had really begun to believe that they deserved to be saved. I mean, if Peter had come, if they had heard the word of God, had, mad, had came to the Gentiles, just that it had came to them, and they really marveled at the fact that they were saved when they got word that the Gentiles were saved also, it would amaze them. It would marvel them, and they would have wanted to know, Peter, tell us what you saw. Peter, tell us what you did. Peter, tell us. All the wonderful things that God was doing. Because I just can't believe it. God saved them just like he saved me. Because, beloved, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Joy is destroyed when you stop marveling at your salvation. Criticism and bitterness rises up in your heart at others and and things because you stop marveling that you are saved. Hey, I am, I I, I, I try to rehearse this. I, I really do. I really do try to rehearse this because being a pastor and being, you know, uh, uh, one of the elders and, and the lead pastor of the church, criticisms come. Because everybody always thinks they know what should be done. That's fine. That's fine. Because I always try to remind myself. Criticize me what you will. Man, I'm saved. I can't believe that. And all of your criticism doesn't change that. And in fact, you don't know the half of it. I'm even worse than you think. There is more here to criticize than you could ever know. As one writer says, the cross has criticized me beyond any criticism that you can give. I'm saved. I'm saved. (laughs) I'm sure them Gentiles and Peter was like, are y'all kidding me? Man, I've seen the power of God. I've seen the grace of God. I've seen the word of God take effect in people's lives. And you want to criticize? Criticize all you want to. I'm rejoicing in the God of my salvation. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable what Christians will will do despite the fact that they're saved. But it's unbelievable that God saves them anyway. That is unbelievable. Well, that's what grace is. It's unbelievable. But not only is it unbelievable, beloved, it's undivided, isn't it? It is absolutely, it's undivided. Another way, another way that you know that it's God doing it is that God, the word of God, works to unite God's people. There is no separate but equal in the kingdom of God. In the things of God. There is no such thing as separate but equal in God's house. And so what Peter does, he doesn't rebuke them. 
like most of us would, and tell them to shut up, mind your own business. He just rehearses for them the vision and the visit. He rehearses for them the vision and the visit. For both the visit and the vision were remarkable, they were unprecedented, and they were grace-filled, Christ-glorifying events. And after Peter rehearsed the events of his visit to Cornelius' house and the vision there, he reminded them the evidences of God's grace. He said, God is not divided. He is not divided. For you do understand that both the vision and the vision and and the visit had a singular important focus. And that is the manifold, multi-ethnic, multicultural, unifying grace of God. That's the point of the vision. That was the point of the visit. And this is what Peter told his brothers in Jerusalem. That the Spirit told him in verse 12 not to make any distinctions. The reason Peter was not to make any distinctions is because God doesn't, remember? Makes no distinctions. Seeing this mighty work among the Gentiles, what God was doing and how the Spirit of God moved, Peter raised two important rhetorical questions. We got one back in chapter 10, in verse 47. Peter looked out at what God was doing in Cornelius' house, and he raised this rhetorical question. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And the answer to that question is no. Then he asks the question in, in, in chapter 11 and verse 17. If then, he's speaking to these naysayers. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Because the Gentiles heard the same word the Jews heard in Acts chapter 2. And as a consequence, the Gentiles received the same gift that the Jews received in Acts chapter 2. Oh, Peter said, yeah, when I got there, there were some things that were a little different. I mean, the food was different. I remember when uh, I went to a a funeral uh, for some friends of ours. Um, They were West Indian. And uh, Alan was there. We were at this funeral. And uh, after the funeral, everybody was hungry, so we went to the repast. They had food. Long line of food. All this wonderful food. And I'm just getting there. Man, what am I going to eat? And I'm looking. I'm getting stuff on my plate. And I'm not familiar with most of the stuff that is down there. I'm just taking chances. And... um, there was some meat, and it was like some stewed meat. And I looked at it, and, and now Alan remembers. And it was, looked like neck bones. And I grew up on neck bones. 
And I was like, man, yes, neck bones. I know what that is. So I started getting some neck bones, and Alan walked up to me. He said, oh, man, you getting some goat? We had to put that back. I feel with Peter, the food was different. He got to Cornelius' house. He was seeing things on the table that he hadn't seen before. And he tells his Jewish brothers, I understand, man. There were some things on the table that I wasn't familiar with. Yes, the food was different. And when we sat around and had our conversations, they were talking about things that I wasn't used to talking about. And when they talked about their kids, their kids went to different schools. When they went out to eat, they ate at different restaurants. But I'm here to tell you of all those different things, the spirit in that place was still the same. A lot of things that were different, but you got to understand, beloved, there's something that I don't think that gets down in our hearts and minds. Different is just different. Different is not better. We always seem to equate different with being inferior or different with being better. Different is not better. Different is just different. Let me say this. If you have never worshipped or fellowshiped outside of your own comfortable context, if you have never experienced the fellowship of Christians in a context where it just don't look like you, they don't sound like you, if you've never been in a worship context where you are the minority, huge minority, then, beloved, you are neglecting the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. Your Christian experience is malnourished. And you are the lesser for it. Because evidences of God's grace are not divided. And if all you ever do is experience those evidences with people who look like you, who sound like you, who like what you like, who talk like you talk, and only want to do the things that you want to do, then your Christian experience is weak. This is what Peter Peter found out. Telling you, he came back to Jerusalem with a story to tell. God had shown him things that he never thought he would see. And what a marvelous thing it was. Yes, yes, yes. The culture may be different, beloved. The language may be different. The custom may be different. The music may be different. They may spend two hours in church rather than one. Sermons may be 50 minutes rather than 25. He may get a little loud every now and then. They may use drums and and have loud speakers. They may get a little emotional in the place. But here's the question you need to ask yourself. Is the word of Christ being proclaimed? And if it's the word of Christ being proclaimed, then whatever the trappings are around it, the spirit is still the same. 
Because the Christ is still the same. When you understand that, when you get your mind around that, as Peter got his mind around it in Cornelius' house, and as he sought to convince those Jews there in Jerusalem, you understand that the evidence of grace is not only unbelievable and undivided, but they are undeserved. They are undeserved. You see, when Peter finished his report, and he was rehearsing what happened in Jerusalem, in Cornelius' house, notice what the Bible says. Those Jewish brothers had nothing else to say. <laughs> they had nothing else to say. Why? Because, beloved, when God speaks, everybody else ought to just shut up. We just keep talking. Just keep talking. But they understood. When God speaks, just shut up. Just listen. Because you might experience something that you've never experienced before. An evidence of grace in your heart that is totally undeserved. When they heard these things They fell silent. No further objections. They couldn't refute Peter. This is always, this is always the the response to the glory and the grace of God when it is rightly understood. When you rightly understand the grace and the glory of God in your life, in the lives of others, you just hush it. You hush it. The criticisms, they just go by the wayside. They're like, whatever. I'm amazed that I'm in the place. I really am. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens. It really does. It really is. Because this, this is the point of the glory of God. Ultimately, that is the point. It is ultimately to shut every mouth. It is to bring it in to human wisdom. It is to bring it in to pride and prejudice. That's what F.F. Bruce says. He says, their criticism ceased and their worship began. When they heard these things, they felt silent. But it wasn't a silent, an ultimate silence. For the Bible says they just shut up from criticizing. They didn't shut up altogether. Because then they began to worship God. To glorify God. To make much of God and not themselves. To make much of Jesus and not their traditions. To make much of God and not their opinions. To make much of Jesus. And they glorify God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They understood. 
not only, not only had the Gentiles received the same word, not only had they received the same spirit, but now they came to understand that those Gentiles had received the same grace. It was a grace that leads to repentance. That's what it says in Acts chapter 5, in verse 31. For there we see that it was God who had granted repentance to the Jews. And now in Acts chapter 11, we see that he was doing the same for the Gentiles. And they glorified God. They glorified God because they came to realize at the testimony and the word of Peter, they came to understand this very important truth. And that is salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to God. Belongs to him. Salvation is a gift that God gives to those whom he wills. It's a gift. It's not earned. It's not deserved. Ephesians chapter 2 and and verse 8 reminds us that faith is a gift. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 25 reminds us that repentance is a gift. Faith is a gift. Repentance is a gift. All of them given, granted by God. No one, no one receives salvation except God is pleased to grant it to you. That is so important. It's so important. Because when you understand that, then it begins to chip away at the pride in you begins to chip away at the prejudice in your heart because you understand that you are saved only because God has been gracious and determined that you would be saved. That you have the gift of faith, that you have the gift of repentance, that you are exercising these gifts unto salvation because God has determined and been pleased for it to be so. Beloved, nobody, 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 nobody gets saved simply because they want to. You get saved because God wants to. And when you realize how much God wants to, then you are made to want to. You understand that? You hush your mouth. And you glorify God. And he has granted salvation to me, to me, to me. The only thing that we contribute to salvation, as someone has said, is a sin that needs to be forgiven. Love it. It's all a gift. It's all a gift. That's what makes spiritual pride foolish. That is what makes 
the, the, the judging of motives and the intention of other people's hearts, a fool's errand. This is what they came to understand. Who am I? Who am I? The question, the calling the question, the power of God. Who am I to call in the question the grace and the mercy of God? Can he save me? And he can save anybody. That's what they were saying when they said, wow, you mean to tell me that God has granted repentance to the Gentiles? It is reminding me, if he can save me, then I need to understand he can save anybody. He can save anybody. Is his grace greater than all my sin? Then it can be greater than anybody else's as well. Is his mercy more than enough for me? Then his mercy can be more than enough for anyone. And that's the point. You know what happened when Peter got to Jerusalem? Peter gave them what God gave him. A big, huge piece of humble pie. He had eaten it at Cornelius' house. And now his brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem were feasting upon it as well. I think we all could use a nice big chunk of spiritually humble be less criticisms in our hearts less bitterness less strife more glorifying God for the mercies that he shows to me not to speak what he shows to you but to me to me and we sing songs, we do, we, we sing songs that we really don't believe. We pray prayers that we don't believe. We preach sermons we don't believe. Well, this is because of the mercy of God, beloved. We sing better than we are. We pray better than we are. And we preach better than we are. Because we don't sing ourselves, we don't preach ourselves, we preach the glory and the grace of God. We sing of His mercy, of His grace, because it really is amazing, or better yet, just plain, unbelievable.